My message this morning is entitled Authentic Assertion Overcoming Evil with Good. Coronavirus is a viral evil. But right now we're being confronted by another pandemic evil, racism. The tragic and avoidable death of George Floyd in police custody has become the focal point and a flashpoint of a global outrage against this, this form of spiritual evil and human injustice. There can be no more urgent question today than how do we overcome evil in our world? And we, so we turn to the word of God for the only answer that matters. Romans chapter 12 verses 19 through 21 happens to be the very next passage in the series I've been doing on spiritual renewal, walking in the newness of who you are. Last week, we interrupted the series for Pentecost Sunday and gave a very strong message about the Holy Spirit, who is the answer. He is the answer. Now is not the time to be giving up on the Holy Spirit. Now is not the time to be giving up on the church or the gospel. The answer is in the word of God. And now I didn't need to select for this message any more relevant passage than was before us in our series. Romans chapter 12 verses 19 through to 21. Beloved, never avenge yourselves, but leave it to the wrath of God. For it is written, vengeance is mine. I will repay, says the Lord. To the contrary, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he is thirsty, give him something to drink. For by so doing, you will heap burning coals on his head. Do not be overcome by evil but overcome evil with good. The online dictionary definition of racism is prejudice, discrimination, or antagonism directed against someone of a different race based on the belief that one's own race is superior. Since the beginning of January, even before coronavirus became what we understand it to be, and definitely before the death of George Flynn, this uh, ghastly, appalling thing which has brought to the surface so much existing hurt, uh, George Floyd, I do apologise, for some reason I've got Flynn in my, in my mind, George Floyd. Uh, and this ghastly uh, thing that happened. Which, which for many black people, as they will testify, is not unusual. People have died in police custody in Britain, United States of America. Strongly un, uh, suspicious that this is a racism that is taking place, either individually or sometimes institutionally. Uh, and and this is this is so appalling, 
back in January, as we we're going to talk about renewal and so much of renewal uh, depends on renewing our mind. And if ever there is a need for renewing of a mind, a national renewing of mind, individual renewing of mind, it is over this issue of racism, the belief that your race is superior to another's, another person's race. Uh, and, and that therefore you can exhibit prejudgment, you can behave in a way that uh, it discriminates and hurts or, or enslaves uh, another race. Uh, and this is, this is so wrong. And I believe we've got to look at our hearts in this and do whatever it takes to put our house in order. We cannot go back to business as usual. And I have here in my folder the full speech of Dr. Martin Luther King Jr., who delivered his famous I Have a Dream speech on the steps of Lincoln Memorial on August the 28th, 1963, before an audience of over 250,000 civil rights supporters. And there he delivered this very powerful speech and went into a kind of presentation when he was when, when people said, come on, Martin, tell us the dream. And he kind of departed a little bit from his text. And, and the most famous part of the steps, uh, part of the uh, text is, is, is this, I have a dream. But I wonder if you know some of the other things that were said. And there's one or two which really pull out for me very strongly. And um, this, this is one. I'm going to use the word Negro, which is what he used in his original speech. Those who hope that the Negro needed to blow off steam and will now be content, will have a rude awakening if the nation returns to business as usual. And that was him addressing the civil rights campaign uh, in America. And you know it wasn't very long after that before he was assassinated. And it was a, a, a terrible time for the history of the world. Um, and, and, but even back then in 1963, he said, if people think that the black people who are standing here and who are uh, uh, actually crying out for our rights, the rights that our American constitution says that we should have uh, 100 years on from the liberation of the slaves, 100, 100 years after the end of slavery in America, and we still don't have so many of them. And he says, if you think that all of this is just going to blow over and we can go back to business as usual, he said, you've got another thing coming. He said, you know, they are wrong. They are wrong. And I, I, that, those are some of my thoughts. And I leave him to say that because he is far more qualified to speak in those terms than I am. But I do know for my little part, as a white leader of a black majority church, with 19 and over 100 different nationalities where we work together, worship together, love together in racial harmony, where we deal with racism in our hearts and we seek to deal with all prejudice. We seek to do that together in the power of the Holy Spirit. I know that we cannot go back to business as usual. After this lockdown, the church has to rise up. We must rise up now and we must rise up stronger than ever before to stand together, black and white together, all our races together and to be one in Christ Jesus and to do what it takes to end the evil of racism. Now, uh, we, uh, racism, as we've just seen, uh, is something to do with a belief. 
It's based on a belief, a false belief, a lie. No wonder the Bible says you must be transformed by the renewing of your mind. And if we're going to see racism in any way be defeated in our society, in our generation, it's going to have to be through the renewing of the mind. And the renewing of the mind that Paul speaks of in this passage in chapter 12 of Romans is the renewing, the recreation mind, the new mind in Christ Jesus. There is an old creation, an original creation, which fell short and fell away from its original purpose. God is going to recreate, and he's going to recreate all things. Everything's going to be made new, and he begins with our mind, he begins with our attitudes, and so we must confront racism in our minds and in our hearts as a false belief. I think legislation is important. I think government initiatives are important. I think social relief programs are important. I believe it's important for us together to fight these things in that way. But at the end of the day, it is a false belief system and your mind matters and we must address this lie with the truth that we are all one in Christ Jesus and God created us all equal before him, made in his image, and this is why it is so important for us to return to the gospel, to return to the revelation of the scriptures. As I said, now is not the time to give up on the church. Now is the time to be the church as never before. Now is the time to return to the word of God, the truth of the scriptures, which addresses these things. And in the words of Tayo and Toyin, saying that the answer is the gospel, the answer is the church. We are the only group that can do that. Where, where else would you find anywhere a regular physical gathering, of course we're in lockdown now, of more than a hundred different nationalities, worshipping together, loving together, being there together, sorting out our differences together, loving each other all the more because of our differences, not despite our differences. The Church of Jesus Christ is exhibiting something here in London and lots of other places as well that racism has no place in church, racism has no place in our lives as Christians or indeed in the kingdom of God. I mentioned, did I, didn't I, that uh, we are being created equal. Now there are echoing, uh, echoes of words also from Dr. Martin, Martin Luther King's King Jr.'s speech. Uh, and he's, I have, I have a dream section. A man will not be judged by the content of his character. Uh, a man uh, will be judged by the content of his character and not the color of his skin. His exact words were this. I have a dream that my four little children will one day live in a nation where they will not be judged by the color of their skin, but by the content of their character. But that statement, without understanding the previous statement, that that statement flows from this previous statement about being made, uh, uh, created equal before God, made in the image of God. Without that, without understanding that, there can be no guarantee that human dignity, let alone equality, will, will be upheld in any part of society. Therefore, we must go back to the creation value that God has made us and given us equal dignity and worth as men and women, as black and white, and whatever else apparently divides us. We are united in this one truth. God created us in his image. And as image bearers, though we've fallen from that position, we are, we are still to, to uphold 
every value that flows from it. Now, uh, this is how he began. I have a dream that one day this nation will rise up and live out the true meaning of its creed. We hold these truths to be self-evident, that all men were created equal. And of course, he was uh, uh, quoting from the Declaration of Independence, written by Thomas Jefferson in the, in, in the great history of the American people. Now, when you hear this statement, all men are created equal, multiple choice question. Is it A, paraphrasing a passage from Roman law? Or is it B, paraphrasing a passage from Greek democracy? Or is it option C, paraphrasing a statement by Charles Darwin? Is it the next option, A, B, C, D, E? Is it paraphrasing something from the humanist manifesto? Or is it finally the option of a par paraphrasing statements from the Bible? The whole basis of justice, equality and dignity in our world comes from the God who created us equal. And if we were not created equal, there could be no value, no justice at all in, in the final sense. It would just be a passing idea. It would be something that human being thinks is a good idea until somebody more powerful comes along and says, no, actually, I should enslave you because I need you to, to be that way to me. And every time anyone in society, past, present, or indeed in the future, that asserts themselves up as superior because of some race that they believe they're more superior than another race, they are going against the common law of God, the natural law of God, going against the very nature of things that God has created. And until we return to the worship of that one true God and understanding the dignity and worth of all humanity created equal in his image, then all our marches for social justice will in the end come to nothing. It's time to go back, not just to the Bible, but to the God of the Bible. And when we do that, we will begin to renew our own minds. We will see that love is to be defined by truth based on the ultimate reality, not my reality or your reality, but based on the ultimate reality, the truth of who God is. Then we'll understand that our passion should be defined by the new love for God that he's put into our hearts by his Holy Spirit. Not around my preferences or my wishes or my race or my culture or my prejudices or my ideas or my party political ideas. Then we'll come to understand that compassion is defined by desire to see people set free from what oppresses them even if we ourselves have contributed to that oppression. And so all this leads to this message, authentic assertiveness, overcoming evil with good. Overcoming evil with good. What we've seen in the last weeks is pure evil. What am I talking about? The evil of racism. Nobody who saw the social media of that particular footage of George Floyd's neck 
being so pressed down to the point where he couldn't breathe and choked to death. Not the first African-American to die that way. Not the first black life that didn't seem to matter to somebody at that time. Not the first. And in our country, in Britain as well, I understand that this technique of restraint, it is, it is possible to be used. In other words, it, 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 it can be used in our country. And we have to do something about that. Now then, nobody looking at that cannot say anything other than this is evil. This is evil. And I defy anybody. And many, many people say to me, there's no such thing as good and evil. It's just a matter of preference. You see, there's no such thing as absolute truth or absolute right or absolute wrong. But I want to tell you, racism is not just wrong. It is absolutely wrong. And I say absolutely wrong because it's a sin against the God who created us equal. Amen and amen. And so we recognize that, first of all, evil exists. It's not just a personal preference. It's not just that, that George uh, Floyd, uh, it was wrong for that man to do what he did to him because that's just how we think, how we happen to see it today. But maybe 50 years ago, it wouldn't be wrong. Maybe in 100 years from now, it wouldn't be wrong. It is wrong today, it was wrong yesterday, and it will be wrong tomorrow. Evil exists. I say that because so many people want to get out of this. They don't believe that evil. No such thing as right and wrong, really. It's just a matter of preference. It's called relativism, and it is wrong. It is a bankrupt philosophy, and our society must abandon it. Otherwise, we can justify all kinds of evil and play it all down. Next thing I want you to know is that because evil exists, we can be sure that good exists. I'm not trying to be philosophical with you today. Think about it. If you recognize something as evil, you must have some standard of good by which you're measuring that evil. As C.S. Lewis said, you only can recognize a crooked line if you have some idea of a straight line. And that was one of the things that persuaded this man, who was an atheist man, a very high intellectual man, who became later on not only a, a great master of, of literature and a friend of, of Tolkien, uh, this, the, these, these great Christian men of a former generation that produced amazing Christian literature like, like well, literature like The Lord of the Rings, this mythological parable of, of, of the fight between light and darkness and good and evil, and C.S. Lewis in his own Narnia Chronicles. But in his book, Mere Christianity, he describes how he came to the realization that I've just presented to you. He said, my argument against God was that the universe seemed to, so cruel and unjust. But how had I got this idea of just and unjust? A man does not call a crooked line, does not call a line crooked unless he has some idea of a straight line. What was I comparing this universe with when I called it unjust? So because we recognize evil and name it for what it is, we also know that good exists, otherwise we would have no idea of evil. And if good exists, then God exists, because the only justification that something is ultimately good is by, it's judged by the ultimate reality, who is God, who is good, the good God. So if this is the case, 
Not only does evil exist and good exists, but evil must be overcome. And it must be overcome by good. It cannot be overcome by evil. You can't overcome evil with evil any more than you can overcome darkness with more darkness or overcome hate with more hate. The only way that you can overcome evil is with good. And so we as followers of Christ, we are called to be warriors of the light, warriors of truth, and to overcome evil in all its forms. But the big question is how? And that's what our text addresses. It's very, very clear that the text says, do not avenge yourselves, but leave it to the wrath of God. Vengeance is mine. Actually, to the contrary, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If your enemy is thirsty, give him something to drink. In other words, you overcome evil with good. Very, very important. Once again, just uh, another fuller quotation from uh, uh, Martin Luther King's uh, speech way back, way back then. It's, it is remarkable to me that also he recognized that we have to overcome evil with good. He says, um, the, the marvelous new militancy which has engulfed the Negro community, I use the word that he used, must not lead us to a distrust of all white people, for many of our white brothers, as evidenced by their presence here today, have come to realize that their destiny is uh, tied up with our destiny, uh, they've come to realize their freedom is inextricably bound to, our, bound to our freedom. We cannot walk alone. And we unite today as the races to deal with racism. Then he also says, he says, I want you to understand in the process of gaining our rightful place, we must not be guilty of wrongful deeds. Let us not seek to satisfy our thirst for freedom by drinking from the cup of bitterness and hatred. There was a man who was schooled in the teaching of the scripture, and to know that you don't overcome evil with evil. One evil plus another evil makes two evils. Two wrongs don't make a right. And so we have, to, as the church of Jesus Christ, to call people back to the full understanding of that we are created in the image of God uh, and, 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 to, and to show how the, the broken systems of evolutionary theories that say, no, we're all descended from a common ancestor, uh, which is a, a subhuman. No wonder people start thinking in subhuman ways and we can treat one another so badly when that is the philosophy that guides our generation. We must come back to the creator God, the God of love and the God of all joy and the Jesus Christ who redeemed us from evil and has sent us to be agents of light in the world to overcome evil, not with evil, but with good. And so, the renewal of your mind leads to an overcoming attitude towards evil. And in this, I call it authentic assertiveness. Authentic assertiveness. I was thinking maybe I should use the word confrontation, but I think assertion is a good word. The online dictionary says an assertive person is someone who, who states their needs and opinions clearly so that 
People take notice. They state their needs and opinions clearly so that people take notice. And it's time for us all to assert ourselves and to be authentically assertive against the evil of racism and all the other evils. And there are many other evils, friends, many other evils. Uh, but notice that this self-assertion uh, is not assertiveness to the point of vindictiveness or of, of um, vengeance uh, and personal retribution, taking the matter into your own hands. Now, justice to be done is justice that is conducted across the length and breadth of our society. And if the justice system is broken, you fix it. And we fix it. And if there is a situation of injustice, we use all the laws and rules of justice to get it done. And if they're insufficient, we make some more. And it's not by taking the matter in our own hands, by breeding more hatred and bitterness and resentment. I was so uh, uh, interested to hear the mayor of Atlanta, who's a black female mayor in Atlanta, and, and in the midst of this recent violence and, and what was happening, uh, uh, the, 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 some of the peaceful, peaceful protests have turned violent. It's not the majority, but some of it has. And, and she, she spoke out and she said, go home. This is not a protest. This is not in the spirit of Martin Luther King Jr. This is chaos, she said. When Martin Luther King Jr. was assassinated, we didn't do that to our city. And now, of course, Many cities were uh, taken in with violence after that uh, assassination. But of course, she is saying, don't do it this way. You don't uh, uh, overcome evil with evil. Violence breeds violence. So what are we supposed to do then? What are we supposed to do? Um, Martin Luther King Jr. is obviously named after Martin Luther, uh, the German re Protestant reformer, and during a time of great pressure there in 1521, 1522, he was under great pressure and he had to escape Wittenberg, his town, where he had preached the Reformation and, and he was in hiding. He went through times of great depression, but also during that time had a tremendous literary output. But in 1522, he came back to Wittenberg to find that the radicals had taken over and this revolution and this reformation had now turned violence and, and, and it was in this, in, uh, uh, people were attacking property. And Martin Luther, in a period of about eight days, preached a message from the scripture about love and letting the word do the work. And as a result of that, he quelled this radical, violent aspect of the, the Protestant Reformation. And that's the same spirit in which Martin Luther King said, don't use bitterness and hatred to fight bitterness and hatred. So what are we supposed to do then? Take action, all right? Take action. What action? Prayer. Prayer. Wow, you said, I, I thought you were talking about taking action. And I'll tell you what, there are many things you can do after you have prayed, but there's nothing that you can do until you have prayed. Nothing more important that you can do than pray, provided that prayer isn't just a passive prayer 
that you engage in a spiritual battle. The Bible says that our, our weapons, the weapons of our warfare are not the carnal fleshly weapons, but one of the most important weapons is the weapon of truth in which we preach and proclaim the teaching of Jesus Christ and use that as a way of tearing down the strongholds of the mind that have been influenced by the kind of doctrines which are uh, demonic doctrines which assert themselves against the knowledge of Jesus Christ. And uh, Tayo and Toyin said this, there can be no more demonic doctrine than the doctrine of racism. It's an idea and behind that idea it's a spirit and we must fight a spiritual battle in prayer, with the, with the, uh, not just by praying, but also by preaching the gospel of truth and by teaching people and educating people in the, in, the, in the wisdom of the scripture. And that is something that they must see. It's a revelation that they must have. And we appeal to their conscience. We appeal to the authority of scripture. And we set the example in our lives. We speak up. We call it out. We protest. We use peaceful, forceful, but peaceful protest. And we are prepared to do that. We're prepared to join with those who do that. And we are an example. Kensington Temple is an example. And we must be an even better example. If there's anything in our house that needs to be put into order, we need to put it into order. We better put it into order. And we better do it quickly. And I'll tell you what I am doing now. Today I'm announcing that we are starting and launching a new giant that we are tackling in our society, the giant of racism. Now before you say, hey, who? Oh. Yeah, finally, you now decide it's a new giant. No, that's not the truth. We know this giant operates in all the other giants. That we have the giant of education. We have the giant of the media. We have the giant of politics and law and, and, and in medicine. And in all of those areas of society, thought and philosophy, the giant of racism rears its head. But what we're doing now that's different is saying we are now not just going to tackle racism and every other unbiblical thing by going to all the other giants. We are going to focus on this and we're going to slay this giant by God. If God gives us strength, we're going to become that David. Amen and amen. And we're starting on Wednesday night. I call you to come out as we launch this giant. And what we, if you don't know what we're talking about here, just as David and Goliath, we face the giants of our society, those areas of, of influence which have to be challenged with the truth of the gospel and the truth of God's word and the light of God shining in them. And so on Wednesday night, you join us. We're going to have strong discussion. We're going to have people sharing and the stories that people have to say and to experiences. And we're going to be praying into those situations. And God is going to help us through it because we're also going to work through all legitimate political democratic means to change our society and to tackle this giant of racism. Over this last week, I've spent a lot of time uh, uh, looking, listening, talking, learning, and I've seen a lot of things and heard a lot of things. I certainly feel as if I'm a far better place to speak to you about this subject than I was a week ago, as I have taken in so much listening. It's so important that we listen before we speak. And the trouble with speak with preachers is they speak too quickly. Preachers should speak less and listen more. That's what I've been doing. And one man has deeply impressed me. His name is Dr. Tony Evans. He is a black leader of a very strong church, 
megachurch in Dallas, Texas. Happens to be the brother-in-law of Ruth Ann Cannings, our dear, our dear own Ruth Ann. And Ruth Ann's sister Lois was married to Tony. And Lois passed away last year in December. And Dr. Tony Evans is one of the prominent black leaders, evangelical black leaders in the United States of America, brilliant man, a man who's been through so much suffering, not only racism in his own life, but also experiencing much loss recently. And uh, he spoke last week, and uh, Tony is wise, unlike us, I preach to you live. Most sensible preachers will prepare their message you know, and give you a recorded message. I, I want it live. And that means that anything can go wrong, the sound can go wrong and all kinds of stuff. But I just love the thought that we, we're listening to each other, talking to each other now, live. Anyway, he re pre-recorded his message and therefore he felt the message was not directly what he might have said um, uh, if... Um, if he had been aware of what was going to take place in the, in the interim period. So he added a little recording to his message last Sunday. He said a lot of good things. You can search him on YouTube. But he mentioned something there by way of solution, and I want to pass it on to you uh, by way of encouragement. And I think it's a very practical thing. Now, I'm not using uh, Tony's exact words, but I'm just going to paraphrase what he said. As part of the solution, find somebody different from you. Embrace them. Get to know them. And then you two go together and find somebody less fortunate than you and help them. And he said, in that way, one person at a time, we can bring amazing change. I'm not saying there isn't place for social and political action and reform. I'm not saying that, but it's got to come out of hearts which are generally, genuinely blessed, forgiven, reconciled, and serving together. This is worth fighting for. I'm going to finish by reading to you Sam's speech. In some of the most celebrated movies of all time, the Lord of the Rings trilogy, the second movie, The Two Towers, show Frodo and Sam, hobbits, if you're a fan of uh, J.R. Tolkien, who was a Christian. And they are continuing their journey to Mordor to destroy the One Ring, this ring of power that is so powerful, so seductive, that it even momentarily seduces the hero, Frodo. And, uh, and what he does is he turns on Sam, his friend, and they're in this together. And there's this poignant scene as Frodo is about to thrust the, the sharp edge of his sword into Sam's throat, so overtaken by power. And there's so much of this is a lust for power. And then in the movie... He comes to his senses, he drops his sword, and then Frodo says, I can't do this, Sam. I know. It's all wrong. By rights, we shouldn't even be here. But we are. It's like in the great stories, Mr. Frodo, the ones that really mattered full of 
darkness and danger they were. And sometimes you didn't want to know the end because how could the end be happy? How could the world go back to the way it was when so much bad happened? But in the end, it's only a passing thing, this shadow. Even darkness must pass. A new day will come. And when the sun shines, it will shine out the clearer. Those were the stories that stayed with you, that meant something. Even if you were too small to understand why. But I think, Mr. Frodo, I do understand. I know now. Folk in those stories had lots of chances of turning back. Only they didn't. Because they were holding on to something. What are we holding on to, Sam? That there's some good in this world, Mr. Frodo. And it's worth fighting for. I say to you, brothers and sisters, black and white, I say to us all united in Christ Jesus, we cannot turn back or go back to business as usual. What we have now is worth fighting for.